often say here, we're preparing you to meet Jesus face to face. Well, you know what? It's time now to meet Jesus face to face. We're done the preparing. It's time to meet him. Let me introduce you to him. He's the all-sufficient Savior, people. He's the masterful Messiah. He is the King of Heaven, the King of Glory. He is the King of Kings. He's your King, and He's my King. Like the old preacher said, I wonder, do you know Him? I wonder today, do you love Him? Yeah, that's our Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of civilization. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the Lamb who saves the world from its sin. I wonder if you know him. Yeah, he's indescribable. He's irresistible. He's invincible. He heals the sick. He loves the children. And he treasures the old. I'm so happy that he treasures the old personally. I wonder, do you love him? He's the Prince of Peace. He's your rock. He's your salvation. He's your all-sufficient Savior. He's your Redeemer. And I say it again. He's your Savior. Some people today, they talk about Jesus in the past tense. He was the Son of God. He was a prophet. He was this great man. No, 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 no. We talk about Jesus in the present tense. You heard the song, your king is alive. Why am I going to talk about that king in the past tense when he's here today with all of you? His Holy Spirit permeates this place right now. So you've been introduced to Jesus. One other thing I want to say before we get to the message. They put him in a borrowed tomb after he hung on that cross for each one of you. But the grave could not hold Jesus Christ. He walked out of that grave. And he walked right into your lives. He walked into your life, Nate, over there. He walked into your life, Pastor Bill. He walks into the life of the men and women at the state prison. Why? Because we have a pastor who's willing to share Jesus with them. Can you imagine that? People, and I stress their people in prison, meet Jesus face to face because this church is willing to share the Messiah with them. Each one of you today can sit in your chairs and you can welcome Jesus Christ in. I beg you, I urge you to do that. And if you haven't done that yet, and you're sitting here, guess who brought you here today? Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. You're going to know him today. I want to go to Luke 18. Richie has brought us through Luke 16 and Luke 17. So you can take your Bible, you can take your phone, you can take your device and take a look at Luke 18. These are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here's the interesting part 
of these four books. They're all eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry. And I will tell you, they are credible. They are truthful. From the time they were put down on the papyrus paper to the time they came into your Bible, it's all God's truth right in front of you. And you're going to see today as we go through just three verses that those three verses are testified to first by Matthew, then by Mark, then by Luke, and they are entirely consistent. I hear inconsistencies every day of my work life. If I listen to three witnesses, here's three witnesses, they're never going to tell the same story. Why do these three witnesses tell the same exact story? Why? Because it's God's truth. They're not going to stray from that truth. So we'll get to that in just a minute. A couple quick lessons. Because I'm not going to go through the parable of the ungodly judge and the widow for a very specific reason. But listen to the beginning of that parable before he tells it. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Do you notice the word always? He doesn't say just pray sometimes. Pray consistently. He says pray always. So take a look at that parable and understand this woman went to an ungodly judge and kept badgering him and badgering him and badgering him. Finally, that judge says, okay, just, just, I'm giving you this justice. And then God says, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the justice you get from me if you come to me over and over again? Cry out for the help of the Savior and do it always. Great message right in and of itself. I could have you all leave now. I'm not going to do it. I know it's a long weekend and you'd like to get out, but I have a few more minutes to go. And then I have this parable for you. And again, I won't go through the whole thing. I love this one. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, this elitist religious leader of his day who looks down on everybody, condemns and judges them. But he is, like many people in this day, quote, religious. And then the tax collector, the lowly, the lowest level in life, right? He goes away by himself, pounds his chest, and just speaks to God and says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And who, who does God pick? The religious leader of his day or this poor tax collector? The tax collector. Why? That's true faith, people. So those, those are two quick lessons for you. Here's one that we're going to go through for a while this morning. Not a long while. Don't panic. But it's one where you shouldn't be sitting here in this church right here. You should be over, wherever it is, in children's church. Well, that sounds crazy. Why did we just release the children? What does Jesus Christ say about the children? I'll tell you, here's the summary of this message. You adults sitting in this room, you know what type of faith you have to have? You have to have the faith of a child. All of you are sitting in the wrong place. You should be in children's church. I should be preaching in children's church. So let's see what Jesus says about that in three short 
verses. This is entitled, The Little Children in Jesus. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, same, same words, almost identical. Verse 15, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, and I'll repeat that, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, from the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's a crucial verse. And you know what Jesus is hyper-focused on? He was focused on it last week. He's focused on it this week, and you'll hear it again and again. He's focused on your entry into the kingdom of God. And as Pastor Mark has preached many times, the kingdom of God is here on earth, and it's in heaven. Sometimes we forget that the kingdom of God is right here, in the here and now. Really simple truth, right? You folks, you nice people, aren't going to receive the kingdom of God unless you receive it like a child. What does that mean? And in what context was this happening? Jesus' ministry was rolling at this point. Crowds, people were around him. Children seemed to flock to him. And the disciples are like, get these kids away. How often do we do that, even in church? Like, get this kid Get this kid away, right? Just push them out. But Jesus has this just godly affection for children. Why do you think that is? Children aren't polluted by this world. They're innocent. They're pure. You know what children do? As parents, we see this. They trust. And they trust without any fear. You know what children don't have? They don't have the pride we have that gets in the way. Even the pride of rejection. I don't want to share Jesus with that person. They're really one of my best friends and they could reject me. They could push me away. Verse 17 says it all. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You have to understand how shocking that was to all the Pharisees who were around. They're like, whoa, 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 wait, what? You've got to be kidding me. He thinks you get before God because you have the faith of a little child? No, you, you get to God because you work there. You put on all this adornment. You pray these beautiful prayers. You judge and condemn people. And that's how you get to God. Now, how much sense does that make? And Jesus is blowing this out of the water. And here's one really interesting thing about this. In the midst of doing this, who rebukes the children? The disciples. Even they're not understanding it. 
And it's easy to, to appreciate that because they're raised in this culture of the Pharisees and the great religious elitists. And here comes Jesus. Jesus wasn't interested in the religious leaders of his day. Jesus railed against the religious leaders of the day. He was really nice to them. He called them fakes. He called them hypocrites. And then right in front of them, he says, the way to get to the Father is to have the faith of a child. Do you think they received that? Many did. But look at today. How many people do you know in your social circles, at work, as you walk down the streets of Concord or some other small town in New Hampshire, who have the faith of a child? How many of them are willing to just embrace Jesus and have that very simple gospel understanding that he went to the cross, he died for my sins, in three days he walked out of that grave, and he is alive today. People push that off. So I'll tell you this for all of you who are sitting here. You're no longer a slave to your fear or to your sin. You know what you are? You're a child of God. And accept that. Receive that. You don't have to intellectualize and rationalize your relationship with Jesus. You just have to believe like a child believes. It doesn't say, for God so loved this world that whosoever works for him, whosoever casts judgment in his name, whosoever condemns, whosoever is religious shall have everlasting life. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to the cross, for whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All you have to do is believe. There's no other conditions to it. It's very easy for a child to believe. It's very difficult for people like us to believe. It took me 35 years and a lot of school, and all, all these possessions, everything got in the way. Fun got in the way. Right? Now, you can't be the life of the party if you, you have faith in Jesus. Those people just kind of, Ooh, those Jesus freaks can't do anything, right? No, no, it's the opposite of that. It's the complete freedom like a child feels when they trust in Jesus. If you go over into children's church right now, you'll see nothing but trust, nothing but love. The world doesn't get in their way. I'll give you an example of this. Yesterday, after a beautiful morning in God's creation, golfing, <laughs> I went over to see my newest granddaughter, Ruby. She's eight months old. Kelly sees her Tuesdays, Fridays. She stayed over, had her Friday. Saturday. I just wanted to get over there, to be honest with you. It was pretty clear I was thinking about her based on the way the golf went. <laughs> so I get over there, and we have just this wonderful day with this beautiful, innocent 
child with these big eyes that just welcome you in. Most of the time, other than when I go to hold her and she's like, <laughs> not you, you old man. No, I'll stay with these. I'll stay with grandma. But she's just so innocent, so pure, so trusting. And then her mom comes home from a long day at work. And her face just lights up. A big smile and like the hands. And then they start going like this. And then she lets out this, I've never heard it, but this high-pitched screech, right? There's my mom. Oh, how I trust in her. Oh, how I love her. You, the atmosphere changes because of that pure, innocent love from an eight-month-old child who can't even speak. Oh, how she can speak. That's the way we have to be with Jesus. Run to him. Cast all your cares upon him like a little child. Time for you people to act like children, like little kids. And then we turn for further examples of faith. And I'll be pretty quick about these parables. I don't have to read them to you. You should read them and read them carefully. But this is the story of the rich man versus the blind beggar. Who do you think wins in this world of ours? A rich man with power, prestige, and everything that goes with it, or a blind beggar sitting on the side of the streets of Concord? Who's winning? Yeah, the rich man. Who wins with Jesus? Let's see. The rich man, interestingly, comes to Jesus and says, ask him directly. He wants an answer from the Messiah. He's seeing what Jesus is doing. And he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? You notice the problem there? It's what I do. You don't have to do anything other than just believe and have the faith of a child. Jesus then takes him through some of the commandments. And you know what this rich, powerful man says? Jesus, I keep the commandments. I've done it since I was a little child. I obey the law. And then Jesus, like he does with each one of us, because we have free will, sets up a choice for that rich man. And he says to him, you can follow me, or in essence, you can follow the world. If you want to follow me, it's a really simple choice. Give up all of that. Give up your possessions. Give up your money, your dinero. Give up all the power, all the prestige. Give up your position. And there's a reaction to this. Now, in our day, the reaction to me saying that to someone often can be, just dismissive, yeah, you know, talk to you tomorrow when you want to talk about football. Not today. Or it can be really defiant. How dare you talk to me about this Jesus? I don't believe in religion. Notice they don't say I don't believe in Jesus a lot of times. It's the religion part of it. Well, Jesus didn't believe in that either. But they're defiant. If you read this parable, it's really interesting 
on how this rich man reacts when he says, oh no, I can't, I can't follow this Jesus. I'm not giving up my money, my possessions, my power. There's no way I'm going to do this. Look at verse 23. When the rich man heard this, he became, quote, very sad. You know what that is? And you see it all around this world of ours. I see it in my social circles. That is the sorrow of worldly success. You have everything. You have great cars. You have beautiful homes on the lake or in the mountains or maybe out west or in another country. You have everything from a material standpoint. But you're empty like this rich man. You're very sad. He wasn't defiant. You know why he wasn't defiant? Because he had the truth standing in front of him and he was rejecting it. And he's smart enough to know that that's not the right choice. But he's made it. He's gone. And then this is one of those wow verses. And I'll end this parable with this. Imagine if you were the rich man. Put yourself right in his position. He's rejected Jesus Christ. I I don't find that that's a really good idea. But he's done it. And then Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And there's an exclamation point. So he's letting him have it. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, can you imagine if the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is looking at you in saying to you, hey, based on your response, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, raise your hand if you've tried to put a camel through an eye of a needle. Yeah, you wouldn't do that, right? It's not going to happen. But then it gets interesting because people ask him and they say, well, who can be saved? And Jesus says this, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So if that camel has to go through the eye of needle, you can't do it, but God can. If that rich man comes back to him and says, huh, I've been out there. I, I know I have to follow you. So possessions, money, all of that. Go, I'm following you. Guess what Jesus will do? Welcome him right in. He won't get that speech. He'll get a hug in a follow me. Now we switch over. There's a blind beggar begging on the side of a road. He's physically blind, but oh, spiritually, he can see. And he hears these people. Here's Jesus of Nazareth coming down. And it's interesting because he cries out. He doesn't cry out, heal me, I'm blind, I can't see. I can't even see you now. Help me. I know you can help me. He doesn't do that. You know what the first words out of his mouth are? Son of David. He's recognizing the Messiah even though he can't see. 
We can't see the Messiah these days. But there's a whole group of people in this room who recognize him really well. That's called faith. Believing in what you cannot see. This blind beggar had super faith. And what happens again? Just like with the children. The crowd rebukes this blind man. But you know what he does? Because he's versed in what Jesus said in the parable of the widow, he keeps crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus ignores all the crowd that's rebuking this blind man. He comes right over to the blind beggar. Here it is. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. So instead of rebuking, he's saying, I order you to bring this blind beggar to me. When he came near, Jesus asked him a really simple question. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, <laughs> this guy is just great. He doesn't say, I want to see. He starts with, Lord, I want to see. Sometimes I think we pray, and we pray really hard, but you know what we forget? The Lord. We're just praying for ourselves, not this guy. Oh, how he can see. But he says, Lord, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said, receive your sight, and here's the key. Your faith has healed you. And unlike the rich man, the blind beggar, he's not very sad. The blind beggar rejoices in the presence of the Lord, and guess what he does? He's got his sight. Guess who he can follow now? He follows Jesus. So if you give me the option, do I want to be rich or do I want to be blind? Based on what we've just heard in the Gospel of Luke, I'd rather be physically blind than materially rich. What a statement, huh? That rich man was as spiritually blind as you can get. That blind man was as physically blind as you can get, but oh, how he could see spiritually. He's rejoicing. The rich man with the Porsche and the beautiful mansion and all the parties, he's very sad as he walks away. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the person with childlike faith? Do you want to have all the riches in the world but just put Jesus to the side? I'll, I'll get to it later. Do you want to be that blind beggar who calls out, Lord, heal me. Give me my sight. The worship team can come up, if you would. I want to end uh, in a way I, I just love to end. And please, I, I'm not putting anyone on the spot. If you want to stay right in your seat, that's fine. Stay in your seat. Pray. Just enjoy the moment. But this verse in here is so powerful right at the end. Your faith has healed you. Your faith 
has healed you. I'll say it a third time. Jesus liked to do things in three. Your faith has healed you. I stand here, and I'll declare it. I won't be shy. My faith healed me of cancer. And your faith has healed you. So don't be shy about this. If it's cancer, if it's depression, if it's a substance use disorder, if it's anxiety, if it's diabetes, if it's a heart condition, and your faith has healed you. Another way of saying it is Jesus has healed you. Because Jesus promises in Jeremiah to restore your health and heal your wounds. When Jesus went to that cross, Isaiah and 1 Peter both tell you that not only are you saved by that, not only are your transgressions removed from him, but you're also healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. So if you've been healed from some condition, I want you to stand up right now. I want to give a testimony of that healing. If you've been healed by your faith, stand up. Yeah, look at that. Yes. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. That is a powerful, powerful testimony. There are times where I felt, ah, these words these doctors use, this surgery, and you just get into that self-mode. And then I'd open this little book. It was called Healed of Cancer that someone, Kim, sitting back there gave me. And I just read through these verses. God promises my health will be restored and he'll heal these wounds. What am I worried about? Get me to Boston. You've set it up, right? God says I'm healed by his stripes, just not saved. Get me to that surgery. The doctors give you the odds. 30% cure rate on this. Ah, That's fine. Jesus will take care of the other 70%. I just read it. Right? It's the same with all of us. You are healed by your faith. Oh, you're saved for an eternal life by your faith. Your faith that is like a child's. And that's the news that you just want to hear. That's the gospel. But you're also healed by Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today, and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.